Blog Talk Radio. I do it every week. Uh, I don't know. I don't have it in me tonight. I wasn't thinking about it beforehand, and really I've expended all of my off-the-cuff responses to a bunch of singing children that I'm going to in the immediate future. I'll come up with some new ones, I promise. This is the Radulich and Broadcasting Network Movie Review Podcast. I am Robert Winfrey, and we are currently absent one Mark Radulich. Mark is rushing home. He had a day out with his family, which I hope was a lot of fun. And that's why the start time got bumped back half an hour to an even 10. And apparently he's on his way home. He was told me beforehand he's going to be a little bit late. So when he shows up, I'll make sure he gets a proper introduction. I think he's hoping to come in like mid plot review so that I won't get to razz him about Ghostbusters again because seriously that oh. movie not only does it suck it's uh, it's losing money by the barrel oh you piss up a rope you I heard that I'm here what now do you think I, I brought it up simply because I heard I saw you pop into the switchboard <laughs> listen buddy Ghostbusters get ready for 50 more sequels it's all coming well, at least one is coming. It'll still be a terrible idea, and I really hope Sony reconsiders in the immediate future after they continue to lose money on this. I'm Robert Winfrey. Everything is terrible. Wah, wah, wah. Hold on. Not everything is terrible. <laughs> I'm Robert Winfrey. Wah, wah, wah. Nothing's ever good. Wah, wah, wah. CGI That's not true is terrible. Uh, well, some of it is. <laughs> Let me tell you something. We're here to review Star Trek Beyond, and I'm beyond tired. Get on with it. That's SeaWorld. Oh, all so day. that's what we were trekking beyond. Fan tolerance. Got it. Okay, yes. I, uh, I saw Smoo today. You know who Smoo is? No. Shamu. Oh. My father calls Shamu. My father, educated man, Shamu. Okay, then. (laughs) 
We saw Schmoo. We saw Schnucks. I'm, I'm, I am dog ass tired. We just got back from from SeaWorld and uh, spending some t- the day with uh, some family. So you need to get on with this review, sir. We got some Star Trek to talk about. We do. Quit, quit wasting time. Quit farting around. Let's go. You're the one who decided to go into a little bit of an autobiographical spiel there. I'm just happy to let you talk. <laughs> I'm trying to get beyond this. Star Trek Beyond. Let's go. Uh, all right. Let's get into this. Allow me to give you my plot synopsis, and it will be relatively fast because there's not a lot of plot to this movie. Uh, it, it's really just a very – there's a really basic – plot here. Uh, We are introduced to our band of intrepid adventurers who have rejoined, or are still with Starfleet, and they are in the midst of their five-year mission in the wake of Trekking into Darkness, which we all wish we'd kind of skipped, I believe. What a terrible movie. Oh, it really wasn't good. Anyway, they're halfway through their five-year mission. Uh, We find... One sec, I, I have to do it now. All I right. am. I am Khan. Oh, so you are. Not entirely sure why you had to say it that way. Not entirely sure what the reference here is, too. But I'm Khan. Yeah, none, of, none of the... Yeah, okay, gas this guy and let's go home. <laughs> oh, Captain, he says he's Khan. That means you know it means nothing. I, I, We didn't see Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, you jackass. Ironically enough, this particular movie opens with yet another homage to Wrath of Khan. Yeah, his birthday. Oh, that's right. But they were but they were dealing with two different things with the birthday issue. I'm um, just I don't pointing want to put- it out. They both started with his birthday. Fair enough. Go on. Uh, Kirk is feeling disillusioned. My dog is trying to get a running start to go out through the sliding glass door, and she just... It, it, that's not how that works. She she really wants to go outside and meet people, but she can't... Eh, the fact that she's running faster at the door is not going to help it open. It amuses me. Anyway, Kirk is feeling a little burned out, a little bit lost, a little bit like, what am I doing here on this particular starship out in the middle of nowhere? I don't feel like I'm accomplishing anything, and my it's my birthday, so naturally I'm slightly more depressed. He's a little bit, uh, you know, overly emotive at that moment in time. He is contemplating leaving the Enterprise for a cushy desk job where he can put on his Shatner weight. <laughs> in Yorktown, which is the furthest and most sophisticated space station the Federation has built. At the same time, Spock receives news that he has died. Uh, Spock Prime, referred to in this movie as Ambassador Spock, played by Leonard Nimoy, has died, echoing the passing of Leonard Nimoy in real life. And he is going to leave Starfleet as well so that he can do work on New Vulcan. It's rather ambiguous. His Specified goals are rather ambiguous, but those massive elements of this movie, but neither Kirk nor Spock actually tell each other this before they are sent into an uncharted nebula. Uh, While they are going through this nebula on a theoretical rescue mission, they are attacked by a superior technology, uh, 
a bunch of smaller ships that destroy the Enterprise again. Yes, again, the Enterprise is destroyed all the time. It means nothing. Worst ship in the fleet. <laughs> Every movie. Every single movie, guys. Let's, let's, let's hang on. I want to do an exercise really quick. Okay. Star, okay. Trek the motion, Star Trek the motion picture, destroyed or not destroyed? I don't think it was. I haven't seen that movie in, a re- like, decades. But I don't Trek, think it was. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, oh boy, howdy, is it destroyed. It no. is not destroyed. It is not destroyed. No, 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 you're absolutely right. Spock dies saving the ship. Spoiler alert. Yes. Uh, all right, so we're two movies in, not destroyed. <laughs> Star Trek III, boy, howdy, does it get destroyed. Yeah, they, they blow it up deliberately. There is no ship in four. And There's they no get Enterprise in four. Yeah, they get a new one at the end. Uh, five, I think they leave it alone in that one. That one is the old, uh, why does God need a starship? Um, and I'm pretty sure they don't blow it up. Six, I don't think sure they blow they, it up in five. Six, I'm pretty sure they don't blow it up either. That was more of a mystery. Um, six is the last one. Yeah, the Enterprise is not destroyed. Okay, so in six movies with the original cast, they only blew the ship up once. And Correct. it meant something in six movies because it was a monumental event. They blow it up in Generations. It does get blown up in Generations. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it got blown up in First Contact. No, it does not. It doesn't? Did they just they go back set the auto-destruct sequence and then abort it prior to the end of the movie. No, the ship is intact completely. All right, so Generations, yes. First Contact, no. Um, it is not Nemesis. blown up in Star Trek Insurrection, and it is not blown up in Nemesis. Okay, so we're doing good so far. Uh, did they blow the ship up in the reboot? Pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> did they blow the ship up in Into Darkness? Once again, pretty close. <laughs> and in this one, it gets total. So I think we've only what what so but remind me of my count here only once in the first six prior movies. to J.J. Abrams getting his hands on this franchise the Enterprise was actually destroyed a grand total of twice on screen. Okay, they were doing good here. Now I think Janeway was always trying to blow her ship up or land or you know land it on the ground somewhere. It was always well, it was Voyager always something- was designed differently than the Enterprise. Yeah. But I know that she was. Con- I know that they were constantly trying to blow that ship up for one reason or another, and then saving it at the last, you know, in the tada nick of time. All right, so it's episodic television, guys. What do you expect? Um, but yes, while it is fun to talk about how many times the Enterprise has been blown up on screen, it's actually only been blown up twice in major in any major motion picture. Three, sorry, three times. No, no, no. Major- it's only. Well, hang on. Here's the thing about that. In both in. Both of the two previous ones from the reboot series, it was so it was functionally destroyed. Mm-hmm. Not uh, now, and this is different from it takes massive damage in Wrath of Khan. I believe in both the original. I believe in into in uh, Trekking into Darkness, they do more damage to it than they did in Wrath of Khan to the point where any reasonable ship would have actually been decommissioned. <laughs> okay, get, let, let's move on Anyway, the point being They destroyed the Enterprise yet again And I bring that up only because J.J. J. Abrams likes to destroy the Enterprise 
under more skillful hands, it means something. In his, it occurs every other Tuesday, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Kirk, this is the 22nd Enterprise we've given you. Knock it off. Yeah, well, we're going to either promote you or demote you, because you clearly cannot handle this <laughs> particular responsibility. Oh, God, we're 15 minutes into this. We're already having too much fun. Anyway, the Enterprise is destroyed. It lands on this planet that they were sent to. It turns out the person who lured them into this ambush was a spy. They were trying to locate a very small relic that the Enterprise had on board, which is the secret final piece to uh, the Infinity Stone that destroys all life. No, wait, different movie. No, wait, it's the same. (laughs) MacGuffin. Yay! Seriously. The last parts of this movie just made me go, so you finally got around to watching Guardians of the Galaxy and clearly had a rockin' time. <laughs> okay. no, I'm I wanted to it. dance off between Idris Elba and Chris Pine. That's all I'm saying. They came very close. Get on with it. I'm just pointing it out. Uh, they all crash onto this planet, separated uh, by this alien warlord, Crawl. He eventually does get the other half of this. They take a while to get there, but he does obtain it, and it's this bioweapon, which is a word they just throw around without ever actually explaining what it does. Something which Guardians of the Galaxy had the good sense to do, but here it's just the MacGuffin. Uh, While they are on the planet, Scotty encounters random other alien who knows how to survive on this planet. They team up. They find an old, abandoned starship that had crashed the USS Franklin, and it turns out that Krull, the leader of this alien group, who has some bizarre, never-fully-explained vendetta against everyone else, oh, he, doesn't li- stop. he doesn't like peace, he likes conflict and war, and I, I understand there's a philosophical argument there in many ways, but it's poorly phrased, and he drags Uhura around as nothing more than an excuse to give soliloquy to his evil plan seriously that's it well no that i agree with but i think that your idea that um that he didn't have a rational reason or irrational Uh, okay allow me to rectify his rationale is internally solid his plan is a little bit weird he seems to think that destroying the yorktown space station when everyone knows it's him, will somehow incite massive disharmony and chaos throughout the universe. Well, hang on. I think his whole plan was to take down the entire Federation, starting with Yorktown, because he figured the weapon was invincible. Yeah, again, the, the, the details of his plan are never really fleshed out, because, hey, it's a Star Trek movie, and they never are, with maybe two exceptions. Seriously, why does God need a spaceship? I still want to know. <laughs> well, wasn't that the whole point of that scene? Come on, move along. Anyway, they are able to revivify this previously dead ship. They discover that Krull was actually the captain of the Franklin, and he was from a long-defunct organization known as MAKO. That was a military organization prior to the creation of Starfleet, which is not a military organization despite the copious amounts of weaponry. Although it does explain why they are all such piss poor shots. I mean, really. <laughs> really. These guys are worse than stormtroopers, people. 
Uh, so anyway, his plan is to exact vengeance and incite war, and once he has the weapon, he heads for this uh, installation. The crew of the Enterprise follows after him. We get a pointless Beastie Boys song. I don't understand J.J. Abrams' fixation on that. Seriously, the Beastie Boys, I believe, are in every movie he has ever directed or had a serious hand in producing. That's not a joke. That I believe that to be an accurate statement. I'd have to double check, but I believe that is correct. Uh, utilizing the power of angry guys from Brooklyn, they're able to destroy this massive swarm of individual ships. Because it's not one big ship like the Enterprise. It's thousands, if not millions, of smaller ships that work in concert, which is fundamentally much more difficult to deal with. They're able to bring him down. They bring him into the space station where he reverts to being Idris Elba, basically. Tries to release the weapon. He is stopped at the last second by the heroic crew of the Enterprise. This entire ordeal has rekindled Kirk's love of exploration and adventure. And along the way, Spock realized that his previous, uh, that himself, really, again, Spock Prime, was at his happiest and doing his best work when he was on the Enterprise. They both decide to stay. And the Enterprise, after it was destroyed, they build a new one, the Enterprise A, and continue their adventure exploring uncharted space. Did I miss anything, Mark? Um, no, that's, I guess that's it. All right. Uh, where do you want to start with this? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll do my 50 words. That, that we, we seem to have developed into a pattern of you... You talk, I talk, you talk, and then we scream. Um, <laughs> I'm fine but, with that. Uh, I'll warm up my screaming voice. Okay. This year, the, the Star Trek Beyond took the award this year for um, – that was last year won personally for me um, by Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, a movie where I didn't have any – I didn't have – I wasn't doing a weekly movie review podcast where I look at tentpole movies and, and IP and franchises and all of that. I don't think I would have gone to go see. I probably would have waited until it was on TV to watch. But I don't, I'm, not, you know, I'm not necessarily racist against the Mission Impossible movies. I just don't feel the need to, to go see it. Um, it's, it's one of those, it doesn't really capture a lot of my imagination. But it ended up being one of the best movies of the summer, and I was glad to have gone to see it. As much as I'm a Star Trek fan, and this, and don't get me wrong, this doesn't fall into the category of it ruined my childhood. We had that conversation. I don't feel the need to relive it. Just know that um, when I say this, it isn't like it has tainted my entire view of Star Trek. But after Into Darkness, I kind of washed my hands of Star Trek. I kind of, I just didn't care anymore. I'm like, this is so bad, and the people handling it are so terrible that. I wasn't crazy about the first reboot either. I thought that was the most asinine plot ever. And then they go in, you know, but I'm like, okay, you know, they, they turned, I mean, I am going somewhere with this. They turned a sci-fi, a strict sci-fi franchise into an action adventure in space. There's no, there's no sci-fi left of this thing. It just happens to take place in the stars in the future. And I don't like that. I, that's not Star Trek to me. That's Star Wars. With, you know, but, even, but even this version of Star Wars doesn't have the, uh, the fantasy element that Star Wars had. You know, it doesn't have the gravitas 
you know, that I see that they're good movies. Got up. Um, <laughs> I wasn't crazy about the first reboot. Then Into Darkness came along, and it was a, and you know, and if you would like to hear me and Jeff Paris rip that movie to shreds, you can go back in the archives and find when I was doing these with him. Um, but I hated Into Darkness. I thought it was terrible. It was basically a, it was basically a bad cover song of uh, Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. So when I, you know, when this, I saw this, the doing... truly sad thing about Into Darkness. Uh, I agree with you that it's a bad cover song of Wrath of Khan. The truly sad thing is they didn't even have the common decency to tell you that. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, look, Jurassic World is a mediocre cover song. We all know this. We all knew this going in, and as soon as we saw it, we went, okay, fine. But mediocre cover songs certainly have their place in the world. Uh, but no, no, they, they swore up and down. Benedict, this is not a remake of Wrath of Khan. Benedict Cumberbatch is not playing Khan. Yeah, okay, he's playing Khan. But no, seriously, there's differences. There's going to be different stuff. Uh, no one's going to die trying to get the engines. Well, okay, Kirk dies getting the engines working. But it's Kirk this time, and um, that, that makes it different. And yeah, okay, it's just Wrath of Khan. We're really sorry about that. Moving on. Um, so I was not excited about this one. I figured this is just going to be more bang, bang, shoot them up in space nonsense. You know, God only knows what movie, you know, if they throw fucking whales into this one, I might have to walk out of the theater. Um, Wait, we can walk out on these movies that we have to review? You can't. Um, I, I'm allowed to, though. So anyway. Oh, you uh, fuck. <laughs> so that being said, I was pleasantly surprised by this movie. I wouldn't have gone to see it, uh, uh, to be honest, if we weren't doing the podcast. But as it turns out, uh, it, it was really good. Um, one of the things that I liked about this movie I, was they brought back the sci-fi elements. Something that you talked about last week with Ghostbusters, and Sean also mentioned it, was the idea of, uh, of science winning out over, um, you know, over uh, spirituality. You know, over you know, the, the idea of you know, beating ghosts with, with technology. And one of the things that makes sci-fi sci-fi is that there's actual science involved in doing things. I've talked about this with also with, with Batman. Batman just doesn't punch his way through things. The, the current modern concept of Batman is he's 90% ninja and 10% detective. When the Batman that I grew up with was at least 50% detective. He figured things out. He figured out how to get... He often took on more powerful people around him by being smarter than them and figuring out how to defeat them through, uh, you know, through his intelligence, not punching them in the face repeatedly. And so, so is the same with Star Trek. Star Trek wasn't about shooting phasers and getting into intergalactic wars, though I will give you that's what Deep Space Nine was about, and I like Deep Space Nine. It got better when it was about that. But it was never an action-adventure series. It was, a, it was a sci-fi series. And I like the fact that they brought the sci-fi element back, that they actually used, I mean, it, granted, it, it's fantasy, fantasy science, but I'll, I'll take that over anything else. Um, they used fantasy science to defeat the enemy, not, not some bizarre, elongated, Mission Impossible action sequence. So that was a nice change. Um, the movie takes time to deal with relationships, not tacked on forced relationships like Uhura and Spock in the first one, 
but actual relationships between people. Um, you know, the stuff with Bones and Spock really steals the movie. I like the fact that the idea that Kirk is sort of in his own mind lost in space and doesn't know what they're doing out there. The opening scene of him giving the weapon to the, the little creature oh, and him just, yeah, trying to, and him sort of throwing up his hands and going, I don't know what we're doing out here. I, I, I've lost sight of the ultimate goal. Um, you know, and questioning whether or not he really belongs in Starfleet. I liked all of that because Star Trek, again, is ultimately not just about, you know, not, not just about special effects and alien costumes and all of that. It was about, you know, it was about emotion. It was about relationships. And this movie had it all. Um, it's a very, it's a paper thin plot with, you know, with very, with, you know, you know, I don't want to call them stock, but I, I would stock. say <laughs> not the most three dimensional characters, but, but that I think because of that, that left room for other things to be happening. I like the relationship that develops between Scotty and, and the female alien. Um, and, you know, and, and I have to say visually, it was, how many more times do I got to watch the Enterprise fucking get destroyed? You know, was it a well shot? Well, they're making a fourth, so I'm betting one more at the very least. I will say this the best parts of the movie were not necessarily the action sequences. It was the it was the interconnected connectedness of the people involved in the movie and them figuring out how to beat the bad guy using fantasy science. Um the I'm not gonna there was nothing necessarily bad about the movie in my opinion. Except that I would say um, the opening, the first half an hour to 45 minutes, I don't really care about. It's just, you know, I often say we got to get the kids to the mall. Well, they had to blow up the ship to get the movie going. And that whole sequence takes forever. And I was tired. I mean, so maybe a little bit, I may be a little salty on it because I was also exhausted. But I just was, I just wanted to be over. I was like, oh, God. I think at one point I had to get up and go get myself something to drink because I was getting, you know, I was actually bored. But once they got there and they dropped the people and they were trying to figure things out, I was into it again. So overall, um, I, as far as competent movie making goes, that, it, you know, that there's more than just throwing people on a screen and watching them do stuff, I would say it's one of the best movies of the summer. I would, I would agree with the critics on that. Um, full disclosure, Star Trek is not necessarily my favorite franchise. Really? You're not a Star Trek man, huh? I mean, my parents are both relatively into it, my mom much more so than my dad. So I've seen the movies, I saw, you know, I watched a bit of The New Generation, or Next Generation when I was a kid on television. I saw several of those movies when they came out. It just doesn't, you know, resonate with me the way it does with other people. <laughs> Interesting. Did you imagine that I would be? I'm. Yeah, I have the, what you're picking up for me is, 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 is and I'm not picking on you. It's, it's legitimate shock. I thought you'd be more into uh, Star Trek. Okay. At least the original series. At least, did you just say at least the original series? Yes, the television series. Uh, that's what I know. I'm wow. You think I like camp that much? All right, move on. Uh, 
I well, to be fair, I also probably contributed to that a bit of that assumption by kind of bagging on Star Wars frequently. Uh, it's not because I'm a huge fan of Star Trek. I just not again not a huge fan of either property to be in the interest of full disclosure. So if you wish to take my follow the following criticisms with the grain of salt, that is, I'm not predisposed to give these movies X number of bet, you know doubts or what have you. Then fair enough. I know why fans of Star Trek like this movie. I really do. It makes sense. It's a very thin plot. Uh, But because it relies on the characters and their interactions, it feels like a very blown-up episode of the original television show. Now, there's good and bad that that go along with that, to be sure, but as a general rule, it's for the better. And that's just kind of, especially after trekking into darkness, this was a good return to form. Uh, Charlie. Sorry, my brother's right is here. Okay. And because of that, so you not only have it looking very good by comparison to the previous movie, you have a fundamentally well-executed episode of the television show blown up to two hours and with improved effects. So it's it's understandable that they would really like and kind of rally around this. I was a little bit nonplussed by the majority of it. What? What? I mean, what, what was it about it that you weren't particularly impressed by? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I mean, well, let me ask you a question. Well, no, no, it's a fair question for me to say I'm nonplussed by it. I do need to be able to articulate a support for that particular position. Before you do that, what I was going to ask you is, you know, you heard what I said. I said that the relationship stuff was there. The science fiction stuff was, as I'll, in the low bar, was there. Um, Once you got past the destruction porn part of it, there was competent movie making about so do you disagree with any of that oh there's a caveat to your competent movie making point however generally it is accurate so what's your beef well for one okay i have a couple uh one the the stuff with Kirk and Chekhov on the planet was really just kind of blah for me. I mean, it existed, stuff happened, but the majority of it took place at night with a bunch of crappy CGI. It was not crappy, crappy, but just not not visually impressive stuff. The the plan, such as it was, I mean, we all saw everything about it coming from a mile away. So the fact that we then have to sit there for that mile of predictable twists and turns was a bit laborious for me intellectually. Uh, Carl Urban, I need to say this, Carl Urban has consistently been the best thing about these movies. Uh, Just hands down, flat out across the board, Carl Urban's bones is the shining light in even the worst of these movies. He's tremendous. He his interplay 
with Spock in this movie is better than it's been certainly for the previous movie and for a fair chunk of the first reboot. Uh, The interactions between those two are great. I freaking hated Crawl lugging around Uhura because it was just an excuse for him to spout exposition. Okay, that I agree with. She serves no other purpose than to hear the exposition of the movie. And that's poor filmmaking. If you can't do a better job of writing that. And it, it, it bothered me because it is so out of character uh, for him at every point. Now, if you need her to be the voice of the crew and the voice of unity and peace in the face of his belief that conflict and individualism are the superior ways to elevate the species, fair. You've got the other major players not in that internment camp. You, you need the, if you need that voice, you could do a lot worse than Uhura. I'm fine with that. I am not okay with him dragging her around behind him just so that he can then explain... Hey, here's the next step of my evil plan. That <laughs> that annoyed me to no end. Um, okay, I've got to be honest. When they jumpstart that uh, that ship, the USS Franklin, <laughs> and don't die. Hang on. Hang on. My big gripe with that, and I, this is a major gripe. And no one will know, I imagine most people will not know this apart from me. I'm the only person who looked at that entire sequence and went, you know, there should be no tension here. They needed to get that particular ship up to terminal velocity to jumpstart the engines because it was not designed to be utilized within atmospheric conditions. Okay, I accept that bit of reasoning. The fact that, well, we sure hope we can fall off of this cliff and do it. No, wait a minute. Here's your Mr. Wizard moment, everybody. The attaining of terminal velocity is calculable. You, you all, I imagine, have access to smartphones with calculators on it. If you have a calculator, we don't even need scientific calculators for this crap. If you have an abacus... You can calculate what terminal velocity will be relative to the gravity. And since it has roughly Earth's gravity, that's very easy to calculate. You know how fast it falls, because all things fall at the same rate, uh, relative to wind resistance. But, gen- but you know how fast it will fall. And with that information, you will know exactly at what point you will hit terminal velocity. So you will know beforehand whether or not this particular falling point is high enough. Now, it's one thing for me to say that sitting in a movie theater, the fact that I remember this randomly and impart this wisdom to all of you, for those of you who had either dismissed, didn't know that, had learned it and forgotten it, whatever. It's perfectly okay if you have a bunch of idiots trying to jumpstart a space shuttle like this. I accept the fact that they're a bunch of idiots. These are theoretically the finest scientific minds put into space. <laughs> and none of them bother to, ca- to calculate how far, bother to calculate this stuff out beforehand. They're that reckless and stupid. 
all here they they wing a plan to intercept a what cyberpathic communication between ships, but none of these morons took basic physics. <laughs> Where is the internal consistency here? They were they were too busy trying to figure out what music to play to kill Mark, the bees with. If you have that, if that is your last hope, and you only get one life. I guarantee you they would have calculated it out. It's not difficult. <laughs> this, this is, again, we, this is not stuff you need a supercomputer for. This is stuff you need a calculator for. Any teenager who took basic physics in high school did problems like that. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me if there's some end- uh, forgive the pun, it's unintentional, enterprising young physics high school teacher out there who could use the scene in this movie as an example of how to calculate terminal velocity and why they should have done it. Now, I admit to the vast majority of people that it's probably not a big deal. It bothered me tremendously. I can see that. Um... Using the Beastie Boys and calling it classical music. <laughs> I giggled. I know. I died a little inside. I'm not apologizing for having a sense of humor, by the way. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying you're insisting that I should, but I always feel like, you know, like, ugh, I do a podcast with a moron. No, I'm sorry. I thought it was funny. And Mark, I'm not if I ever more. feel, if I ever feel like you're behaving in a, way commensurate with being a moron, I will call you a moron. You have a sense of humor. It's different from mine. Fair play. Okay. Just, just wanted to make the story It bothered me personally because A, I knew it was coming. Because again, J.J. Abrams has some bizarre obsession with the Beastie Boys. <laughs> hey! Hey! Get out of there. Get out of there, freaking dog. Go! That is not your food. The entire time they're actually on the space station trying to catch Idris Elba, I could only see Chris Pratt and Ronan, the accuser. (laughs) That's all I could see. That's all that was. The cat's food is just down. And it, I, so all I could is like, oh, he's got the weapon. Well, he better not reach the surface with it because then it will detonate the planet. No, wait, he's trying to reach the air vents, but it's the same thing. Uh, there were uh, two spots of horrendous CGI, I have to mention. Because for the va- by and large, it's fine. By and large, the visual effects for this film are good to great, which makes these instances of it being terrible that much more glaring. Uh, One is the first time you see him riding the motorcycle as he comes out of stealth mode. It, It looks awful. It is just awful. The other is when he and Idris Elba are in the gravitational slipstream. It is the, – the, the way they render their bodies via computers is less in line with the rest of how they – of their visual effects and more in line with, uh, let's say, Neo's body from the second Matrix movie. 
it's not good. Uh, yeah, th- those are my big gripes. Again, really thin plot, really flat villain who is relatively generic. I seek war. I don't like you. You abandoned me. Uh, stuff like that. But, oh, sorry, my other major gripe with this. I don't understand Justin Lin's fixation on rotating cameras. But man, every other shot in this movie was a camera rotating on either the X or the Y axis. (laughs) And it's really, not only is it really stupid, those shots have a particular, serve a particular purpose to a greater film. The overuse of rotating cameras really drove me up the wall. Was there something in the contract about, no, the camera must not ever actually be still? <laughs> it's, either a, it's either a tracking shot or a rotating shot. And it really bothered me as a viewer. Now, I don't know if any of you noticed that. I imagine... Probably not. I mean, the uh, again, the average moviegoer enjoyed this movie. The average critic enjoyed this movie. And honestly, if I were to just give this a pass or a fail, it's a pretty solid pass. Those rotating cameras, Mark. Oh, they killed me. <laughs> Had a rough time with that. It didn't bother me. And like I said, from a visual perspective, I thought the movie was just meh. You know, as far as direct, you know, whenever I think about direction, I would think about, act, you know, the performances of the actors that the director is able to draw out of them. I don't always necessarily think about the, the visual, um, just not, not how my mind works. Um, and unless it's really jarring or incompetently done, uh, you know, like they're not giving, they're not giving scenes enough time to breathe. See, I... If you'll allow me, let me bring up the killing joke for just one second. Um, spoilers if you haven't seen the movie yet. Make uh, a persuasion roll. <laughs> um, Sorry. <laughs> I, I will say this. Um, my, my big gripe with this animated version of the killing joke was uh, there are important scenes that are not given enough time to breathe they pass by too quickly and therefore their effect is wasted. Um, there's almost no effect. And the fact that they threw on it, they, they, they tacked on a backstory didn't make it any better. It's still, it's still rushed. Um, so when I, so while you might be looking and you might be bothered by the use of the camera and capturing the action, I tend to not focus on that. Whereas I'm focusing on, did the drama in the scene get enough time to breathe? Um, did, you know, was I able to watch the actors act in a scene? Um, so the rotating camera stuff didn't bother me. Like I said, the physical action, the, um, the special effects, the blowing up of the Enterprise, much like a lot of stuff this summer, been there, done that, let's move on. You know, I, I can't take, not that I can't take, but I, I would say I just, I'm not impressed anymore I'm burnt out on watching large-scale destruction. There's been too much of it. Um, I'm not. And yet, next week, 
<laughs> yeah, well, um, well, no, next week is Jason Bourne. Matt Damon causes large-scale destruction driving cars through downtown Las Vegas. Sorry, not Mark uh, Wahlberg, well, Matt Damon, if I misspoke. Trust me, um, there will be plenty of CGI'd, relatively large-scale destruction forthcoming next week. Oh, I'm not looking forward to this at all, by the way. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it after the podcast, but boy, if, if there was one that I look, you know, I, I, you know, Robert Winfrey, he gets these lists for me. So this is what we're going to review this year. This is what we're going to review next year. And he says, why did I sign on to this chicken shit outfit? You know, and I go, well, most of these movies are, really, are going to be fun. And he says, Go and he says, burn in hell, Rattledge. Well, this is the one movie on that list where I, you know, where I'm looking at and go, I have to force myself to review this piece of shit because I don't want to go see it. Um, but yeah, welcome to my life, Mark. <laughs> yeah, so Jason Bourne is my <laughs> Jason Bourne is my personal uh, Ghostbusters uh, or Ghostbusters. Sure, I was going with Cross the Bear. Um, God, I hate those Ghostbusters movies. is worse. I got to sit through all of them again. Uh, just shoot me. Anyway, um, and you might be asking why. Well, because it's a big tentpole film, and that's what we decided to do here. Uh, in any case, so g- getting back to the whole camera, um, the use of cameras and everything, uh, it didn't, it did, I don't even think I noticed it. Um, now that you've said it, I'm like, oh, how about that? But I didn't find, but here's a big surprise. I didn't find a problem with any of the CGI. I didn't find a problem with any of the action. Um, Again, two scenes. Now, my CGI gripes were limited to two sequences, which I think is a new record for movies. That uh, when I watch movies and I complain about CGI, it is either pervasive throughout all of the computer effects to the point where I just yell about it on every conceivable level, or it is good enough on every, virtually every scene that I'm okay with it and I don't complain too much only being able to complain about two separate things in this movie I think is a new record because I had three separate specific instances uh, three or four separate instances of bad CGI from uh, Independence Day Resurgence and here we only have two so, so I'm okay um, is there I, mean, is there, I mean like I said I don't know how many more times I can say the same thing um, let me talk about the Beastie Boys thing since you brought it up. I thought that was great. I was, I, I liked the song. Had, had I had time, I was actually going to open up with with uh, the Cancer Bats covering uh, Beastie Boys. Uh, I love that song. I love that video that, that Spike Jones did. Um, I enjoyed the use of the song in the movie. I liked the character who you know, I liked the introduction of the uh, quote unquote classical music by that character. She's like, I like, and I like her description of it. I like this. I like the beats and the screaming. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Well, you know, isn't that one of your soon to be forthcoming tattoos? <laughs> what? I like the beats and the screaming. Yeah. Sure. Right. right all, all across my back. Um, I got a kick out of all that. Cause I mean, if, you know, if you, if you were to take heavy metal and show it to somebody who was not from this earth, that's probably what they'd walk away with, you know. Like, what's all, why all the screaming and you know, and, and the and the uh, loud, you know, beating of drums. Wait, you consider both those songs she played that were played for the purposes of this movie to be heavy metal? No, but that, that was the implication. Um, I mean, she, I think one of them was Public Enemy. Ugh. Yeah, I know. 
Believe me, I know. I think one of them is Fight the Power by Public Enemy, which is great and one of my all-time favorite songs. Shout out, Robert. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. What speaks to you musically is much like what tickles your funny bone. It is uniquely you, not just Mark, but to everyone else. It is uniquely you, with maybe three exceptions, that I will probably smack you with something. I'll tell you, man, I'm going to see Prophets of Rage in October, which features members of um, Rage Against the Machine, Chuck D from Public Enemy, and Be Real from Cypress Hill. And if you thought I was obnoxious about Ghostbusters, ooh, doggy, wait till we get closer to Prophets of Rage live. Fortunately, Um, I'm not doing that particular podcast with you. I feel sorry for Coop. (laughs) Oh, Prophets of Rage, baby. Um, Anyway. I was a huge fan of Public Enemy growing up as a kid, and still am very respectful of Chuck D, who grew up very close to my neighborhood that I grew up in. In any case, um, no, neither one of them was necessarily heavy metal, but I, the, the implication was that, that, that that's what was in that playlist, from what I gathered. Um, in any case, the use of uh, the actual sabotage song, as far as matching up with the action in the movie... I'm bringing it up only because when I first saw it in the commercial, it's you know it's just played against various shots of different parts of the movie. This is him riding, riding the motorcycle, and I think I even complained to you about that. I said, you know, we went we, we went from a, we went from the the brilliant score that was created for Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan to the Beastie Boys. What's happening to my Star Trek that I love? Um, but well, you know, the of Kirk is a huge fan of the Beastie Boys. He was, if memory serves. When he steals that car in the first reboot, in the reboot movie, young, not even adolescent James Tiberius Kirk steals a car and blasts out to sabotage as he goes for a joyride mm-hmm. and then promptly plummets this convertible off a cliff. Um, so yeah, if you can, in, and I'm not sure if there's a better metaphor for the reboot series than that. <laughs> but... Um... As far as you know, coming up with an explanation for the for the you know, for the gratuitous use of the song, I enjoyed that. I like the fact that uh, once Yorktown had the frequency, and you have you know the song sort of dies first, and then it goes, Wah! you know, that's when Yorktown blasts it out and it knocks out all the bees. I thought that was great. Visually, I, I found that to be candy. Um, you know, completely superfluous, but. I, I I enjoyed it. You know, what what is a movie but it, but it's supposed to be something that entertains you? And I was entertained by that. Um, I thought the as far as the acting goes, I I, I got a little tired of, of what's his face Peg. I've been Peg calling the girl Lassie. After a while, I wanted her to just you know start barking at him. Um, it was every time she he she would to her. not get that particular reference. No, she would not. <clears throat> but. My point being, I I liked their connection. I enjoyed watching the two of them act together. You know, Chris Pine, at, you know, trying to summon his best Kirk is fine. Uh, this was the least offensive I've ever seen. Um, what's the, the dude that plays Spock? Uh, somebody Quintano? Zachary um, Quinto. There we go. Zach, this was the least offensive Spock I've ever I've seen in three movies because that's not Spock in the second movie. And in the first movie, he's just a he's just a prick. Um, so the I remember one of the things I complained about it with Into Darkness was the forced friendship between Kirk and Spock that was completely unearned. And this one actually felt like the Kirk and Spock that I had come to know as friends. So uh, for the first time in three movies, they finally got Star Trek right. 
That's really all I have to say about this movie. If you like Star Trek the way I like Star Trek, you should come away from this one fairly happy. Yep, I'd agree with that. I would also request that some enterprising YouTuber, once you get access to that clip, because you know they're going to, that scene is going to be redubbed with different music to the ends of the earth now. As soon as that, uh, you know it's coming. We all know it's coming. I'm looking, no, no, no. There are two songs in particular I would like synced up with that, one of which I think might actually fit and one of which I know won't. I would love the 1812 Overture to be used for that, <laughs> which I know would sync up. I know that's a possibility, and I think it would be very cool. I also would love Benny Hill, the Benny Hill music. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> which I know would not sync up thematically, but would be hilarious. I'd laugh. I'm already laughing. Yay, now I can write for the next Ghostbusters movie. I've crossed that hurdle of making Mark laugh. It's not that hard. Um, That's kind of the point. All right, folks. Um, it's always, The ones where we don't have a whole... The, the ones that are pretty good, we, always, we generally don't have a whole lot to, to, to say about them. So, uh, so as to not beat a dead horse, here comes the money. Here comes the money! Here we go, money talk. Here comes the money. money. <laughs> All right. Star Trek Beyond has a production budget of a of approximately 185 million. It opened this weekend, both domestic and foreign, uh, with a worldwide gross uh, as of today. Today being Wednesday, uh, 102 million dollars. Uh, this won the weekend. It was number one, according to Box Office Mojo. Um, hey, Mark. So- Mark, that movie you said was going to make a billion dollars. How did it do? Eat a dick, Winfrey. Box <laughs> Office Mojo. <laughs> Come on. What number did it fall to? Number five, baby. Number five. It may. Um, let me see something real quick. Because it may, it may have actually done worse than Ice Age, which bombed. <laughs> I think it did. <laughs> yeah, ooh, doggy, it dropped from number two to number five, and I say the. It's not just the position. It's not just the positional drop, ladies and gentlemen. It's the percentage drop. Um, fifty to sixty percent, I think it was. That's how far it dropped percentage-wise from its opening weekend. That thing's in free fall and only going faster. Now you see. Yeah. Hang, no, on, hang, hang on, hang on, hang on. No, hang on, hang you hang on, hang on. Okay. I disagree. Worldwide, Ghostbusters has currently $128 million. It's not exactly raking in the dough, but it's going to get to $144 million. And no matter what you say, no matter, no matter what the next words out of your mouth are, there's going to be a sequel with this cast. Not necessarily this director, but definitely this cast. Uh, I had something that I was going to follow that up with. And I can't remember. <laughs> can, I, can I get back to Star Trek now? Yeah, I'm going to have to try and recall what it was. Because it was a pretty good line. <laughs> um, actually, I want to talk about Ice Age. 
this cat. I want to talk about the stage for a second. So this movie, they say bombed, right? Okay. Um, the, the, what I was trying to get at was the box office mojo blog for the weekend um, as of July 24th was Star Trek Beyond debuts at number one, big hit, lights out, open strong, and Ice Age bombs. So for a bomb, right, a certified bomb, a stinker, uh, a costly moneymaker, uh, with a box office, with, with a production budget of $105 million, you know what it's up to right now worldwide? $210 million. It's already made back its money. The only way you could, the only way you could legitimately classify that as a bomb is either – this cat is going to annoy me to death. Hang on. What, your, your either you are looking exclusively at its domestic take and having yeah, that be – it, it, it bombed domestically. It, was only, it only made $27 million. So I get where Box Office Mojo is coming from. But again, you, you can't ignore foreign sales. That's, that's ridiculous to me. Um, and, that, and, and in one weekend, $183 million. That's not bad. That's, that's, no, that's Ice, Age will be pro- Ice Age will be profitable next week. When we do this yeah. show next week, Ice Age will be in the black. Yep. Ghostbusters, not so much. Ah, uh, well, they may not. They they still may not make another Ice Age movie. They may they, they may have run, this one has maybe run its course, but there's done going to be another Ghostbusters. It ran its course three movies ago. Well, that's neither here nor there. Um, Star Trek Beyond. Getting back to the movie we're actually supposed to be talking about. Uh, it's currently sitting at less than. <laughs> it's currently sitting at less than Ice Age. Uh, worldwide, only $102 million so far. It's got another $85 million to go. Um, and it's got... Eh, it's competition in the forthcoming weeks is fair to Midland. Jason Bourne, Suicide Squad is going to... Suicide Squad is its major competition. And Suicide Squad's going to knock this thing down a couple of pegs. Um, Peach Dragon, meh. Uh, ben, I don't know if anyone's going to see Ben Hur. I don't know why you would. <laughs> I just don't. Guys, let let me be clear about Ben Hur for just a moment. Ben Hur is a very interesting story that has been made into more than one movie. There are several adaptations of Ben Hur. The quintessential one, probably the best one, stars Charlton Heston and is the one most people think of. Watch that. Watch the one from the 20s. Do not watch this. This 3D CGI monstrosity that is going to be bombarding cinema. Do not watch this. If the movie's a remake, watch the original. If the movie's bad, just don't see it. (laughs) Anyway, looking at the list here, um, unless you're a chick... (laughs) <laughs> you know, going to see bad moms or you're a kid. Oh, don't go see bad moms. Um, here, here's the here's major releases over the next few weeks that it's got to deal with. We already talked about Jason Bourne. Suicide Squad uh, is looking at a $125 million opening. It's going to slaughter Star Trek. Um, then it's Pete Dragon. Your audience is going to be split between Pete Dragon and Sausage Party, but neither one I didn't think is really going to be too damaging to Star Trek. Um, and then August 19th... No, Sausage Party should bomb. No one should see Sausage Sausage Party. 
uh, Ben uh, August nineteenth is Ben Hur, which no one will see and will bomb and will probably be it'll probably be this year's Jupiter ascending. Kubo and the two strings. <laughs> you have kids aren't back to school yet, and your neck of the woods may go see that. And War Dogs, which I will go see, but we will not be reviewing as such. Thank you. Uh, and then we've August, had the one movie this year that is almost purely uh, comedy that Mark and I just basically are intellectually and personally at each other's throats about. We don't need another one. Yeah. I'm going to go see that one with my wife and we'll, and I'll talk about it at the end of the year. Um, and then August 26th is don't breathe and mechanic resurrection. So Star Trek has the month of August minus suicide squad to make its money. And it probably will. It's been, it's well received enough. And it hasn't been released in all the international markets yet either is the other thing to consider. There's quite a few international release points that have not yet been hit. Um, so right now it's not looking great. Um, but but the critical analysis when they crunch the numbers is when we'll make its money and we'll be on our way to a fourth Star Trek movie. And They've already announced the fourth Star Trek movie. Yeah. Uh, um, as far as where we are in the year, uh, the number one movie in the United States is currently Finding Dory. Um, the top five spots are occupied. Four out of the top five spots in the United States are occupied by Disney movies or Disney IP. Such as um, such as Marvel movies, etc., um, and one is Fox. Worldwide, however, is a whole other kettle of fish. Uh, worldwide, Captain America still reigns supreme, followed by Zootopia. No movie, so we still have yet to see another movie uh, reach a billion dollars. Not since uh, not since Zootopia crossed that line after Captain America did has a single movie this year. Uh, it's a, uh, gone over a billion dollars. And to just compare where we were last year at this time, by last year, okay, uh, movies not so Star Wars won't come out until December. So forget about that. Jurassic World made over a billion dollars. That came out in June. Furious Seven, which I believe came out in April, made a billion dollars. The Avengers. Uh, Age of Ultron, which came out in May, made a billion dollars. Minions, which came out in July, made a million dollars. Okay? Um, and that's just the ones that made over, sorry, a billion, I'm saying million, made over a billion dollars. And that's just the ones that made over a billion. By this point, um, again, Spectre won't come out until December, so we won't count that one. But Inside Out made almost $900 million. Rogue Nation made almost $700 million. Uh, the Hunger Games made six and a half million, and uh, Cinderella and Cinderella and Ant Man both made five hundred million each. I mean, compared to two thousand and fifteen, this year has sucked ass. When talking about the money, uh, two thousand fifteen is just. I think. I think when people ran the analysis. Um, it's, it's closer than I'm making it out to be, but just when you look at hard numbers of where we are right now, worldwide, we're still looking at the same four or five movies. The biggest change in the top five has been that Finding Dory finally knocked out Deadpool. Finding Dory is sitting at $785 million. 
sitting behind uh, Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice, which currently sits at eight hundred and seventy-two million dollars. Another movie that failed to reach a uh, billion dollars, the billion dollars it was set for, uh, and as and as as much as it don't, you know, almost made a billion dollars, it's still considered a disappointment considering how long they worked on that movie and how much was put into it. And how much they spent on advertising. Also a Ghostbusters complaint that should be registered. So it's, um, you know, a couple of other yeah, notes. downstairs. A couple of other notes of where we are right now. Independence Day and Warcraft are, are now both successful movies, but only because of their worldwide growth. Warcraft is currently sitting at $433 million dollars. And Independence Day is looking at 362 million, both of which will get sequels, both of which are. Warcraft is apparently still a financial loss. It is, but that's because it was in development hell for like a decade. Well, there's there's that, and I imagine the other issues with the production company is they're probably paying Blizzard a hefty percentage of those ticket receipts. You know, we talk about how a movie has to double its production budget to be financially successful. That's if it's all relatively in-house. If you're paying for an intellectual property and you have to, you know, cough up a percentage, changes. And the math on Warcraft being profitable might be a lot worse than just double your production budget. However, um, there's money to be made here. There's IP to be mined. Um, as I said when we discussed Warcraft, I think it's going to be a, you know, it's going to be a, a a blinders on March to Wrath of the Lich King, and they'll see and where like they are. Ghostbusters will be blinders blinders on until uh, Gozer shows up and hopefully wipes out the, you know, their world. I would be so happy with that. Um, and as I said, uh, Fox because it's, you know because Sue is mining what's left of its IP. And needs something, anything, um, other than uh, other than Marvel movies and, and Kung Fu Panda, eight and nine respectively in the top ten. Um, there'll be another Independence Day movie. Uh, Angry Birds sitting at three hundred and forty-four million. That was made for you know that's that's Sony's only other hit that wasn't released in you know that wasn't strictly released in China. Uh, so that's getting a sequel. Secret Life of Pets is currently sitting at $333 million. Not exactly Minions, but it's, you know, it's his job. I'll tell you what you're not going to see another one of, though. You're not seeing a third Alice movie. I would really hope not. I was shocked when they decided they needed to make it again anyway, and then that they made a sequel several years later after The Shine is definitely off the apple that is both Johnny Depp and Tim Burton just kind of surprised me. Way to throw yeah, good money I, after bad there, guys. I think there's a lot more in terms of the live-action remakes that they're going to pursue. They've got Mary Poppins in the, uh, in the work. They've got some other stuff going on at, uh, at Disney. They've got Beauty and the Beast coming out next year. Well, yeah, Beauty and the Beast is coming out. They're probably doing a live... I mean, they're going to hit all their major animated classics that they can reasonably do and try to make them live-action, which is fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I we both... I think we're eventually getting live action Dumbo. That might actually be directed by Tim Burton. Um, oh, my. I have to go back and do some research on that. Uh, Ninja Turtles is also... Um, it's uh, currently sitting at $235 million on a $135 million budget. 
So, uh, you know, it didn't quite make what it was supposed to, but it's too valuable and I just, to just put back in the drawer. I think they'll get a new director for the third movie. They'll, uh, you know, they'll, they'll change some things. They'll probably, they'll, they'll bring in some new characters that they haven't put on screen before and hope for the best. But yeah, Turtles isn't going anywhere. I would um, venture to bet they're prob because they touched on Michelangelo being a bit blue balled. What do you bet they throw in the Venus de Milo and just watch the other turtles fight over? I, just, I am. I can feel everyone out there who just heard me mention the series that that character comes from and throw stuff. I'm just trying to think like a stupid executive, guys. And a female turtle that is all CGI'd. I mean, Megan Fox might not like it because theoretically, just throwing it out there, that potential exists. Now that I've given you all nightmares, <laughs> I make no apologies. Yeah. You're going to go see Hands of Stone uh, the week of uh, August 26th? Are we reviewing it? Nope. Probably not, then. Oh, you know, you don't want to go see the R- Roberto Duran movie? It looks moderately interesting, but I would need to do a little, a fair amount more research on the material. Probably have to talk with Pat and Gavin about it. And then I'd have to get mad when they tried because there's only two ways that movie ends. Let's be very clear about this. There are only two ways. One is a pseudo triumphant story after his first fight with Sugar Ray Leonard, much the way every Ali movie ends after the first Foreman fight. And I have to kind of bang my head against a desk because you're you're shoehorning an ending into a happy moment when there's more that comes, or it turns into kind of a hatchet job. And ends with no moss, and they don't do Duran's career actual justice and just make it about that one moment. And I don't care for either one. I'm not convinced we're going to get a accurate, interesting uh, biopic about legitimately one of the best boxers, especially in the lighter weight classes, that the sport has ever seen. So how much would you punch me in the face if I made you review Bridget Jones's baby? Mark, remember when <laughs> I mentioned that you don't need you wouldn't need a, a supercomputer to calculate terminal velocity? Yes, sir. They would need a supercomputer to figure out the exact number of times and at varying velocities that I will strike you with various objects if you make me see that movie. Comes out the same week as the new Blair Witch movie. Seriously? <laughs> and Snowden. Yeah, uh, September the week before. September no, no, sucks ass. It really does. But um, this, we're 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 not reviewing a whole lot of the movie in September. We're reviewing the Magnificent Seven, reviewing the Magnificent Seven, and then we'll review Deepwater Horizon because you have uh, a personal attachment to the subject matter. Um, eh, sort that- of. I mean, I, I suggested it because I know we like to do these things relatively weekly, and I imagine because there are people out there who like Mark Wahlberg, and I don't understand it. I genuinely do not understand well, it, but I accept I that they're out there, and I figure there's I a market. You go see the movie, and you're like, oh, hey, if we're going to see it, we should probably review it, and that's fine. But, but yeah, the rest of September I'm not going to be bothered with. 
but just just to remind people of what dreck we've got going on here, um, and then we'll get to rot, the Rotten Tomato reviews. Uh, uh, September second, The Light Between Oceans, which is a which is a uh, Disney movie. I don't it's know one of those about. Nicholas Sparks pseudo. I know it's not adap- adapted from one of his works, but if I say it's a Nicholas Sparks type movie, hopefully you all understand what I mean by that. Some a sci-fi thriller called Morgan, which I don't know anything about. I have not um, seen a I'm, single thing for that. <laughs> I don't know anything. And some thriller called Solace, put out by Relativity Media. Again, I don't know anything about any of this stuff. Uh, September 9th is Before I Wake, which is a horror movie. Sully, which is the big Oscar bait uh, movie with Tom Hanks, where he's the pilot that uh, flies, that does the fourth water landing. Uh, I don't care. I'm not interested. When the Bow Breaks, uh, Sony Screen Gems drama, which um, gonna, I'm going to assume about Louisiana. I don't know. I don't care. The Wildlife, which is a Lionsgate Summit uh, animation. Again, don't care. Haven't seen anything about it. Uh, as the aforementioned Bridget Jones's baby, it looks terrible. Who's still seeing anything with Renee Zellweger in it? Because y- you people are a problem at this point. Stop it. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll be back September 23rd for the Magnificent Seven. There's also for you for the kiddies, which I'll probably be taking my daughter. Uh, Storks with Kelsey Grammer. Um, Storks looks at least moderately amusing. Uh, I wanted to add The Magnificent Seven just because I can yell about crappy remakes. Mm -hmm. On the flip side, there's a couple of good things here. Antoine Fuqua, the director, has a decent track record with acting. He's hit and miss in some respects, but he's got a pretty solid hand for action. And the cast outside of Denzel Washington looks okay. Um, Then we've got uh, the following Deepwater Horizon. The Edge of Seventeen, which is a comedy, <coughs> Mastermind, which is a comedy, and Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, put out by Fox, which looks terrible. I just, oh God, I have no interest in that movie. I don't know if that was based on a book or not, but if it's not, and, then uh, the novelization and subsequent serialization of novels will probably do better than the movie will. So that's September. Um, I don't want to keep doing this because we have a whole podcast to do in a couple of weeks that sums up the summer and we can talk about we, we can talk about what's coming forward. I will say this. I saw the I saw the trailer for Jack Reacher Never Go Back. If if you had please tell me, me you, please tell me you wanted to throw something like I did. I, I was gonna say like if if, if there I was afraid when I submitted the list for this year to you that, you know, and said, do you have anything that you want to add to this? That I didn't get back, yeah, Jack Reacher, because I probably would have thrown my computer desk. <laughs> God, that looks bad. It looks so awful. I am tempted to now make you review it with me just as revenge. I won't but do it. I will be the bigger man. I'm de- I'll fight back. This, we, can, we, can, we can turn this podcast into our own personal boxing match, because if so, help me God, if you make me review Jack Reacher, I'm throwing Bridget Jones' baby on the list. Mark, you will suffer as much as I will at that movie, and you know it. I can use it as a date night for my wife. You will suffer as much as I will. You know that. <laughs> and I, there's a, there's a substantial portion of my personality that is only happy when I'm miserable. 
Are you ready? I said, sir, are you ready for the review? No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 All right. Um, Jay Olsen of Cinema Mixtape. Roughly as adventurous as a stop at a theme park information center. Hey! I stop at plenty of theme park information centers. This doesn't even come close. Now this, that, I was going to say, that actually explains a fair amount. <laughs> uh, look, it, depending upon his definition of adventurous, if he means the movie itself lacks adventure, I disagree. <laughs> if he means adventurous in terms of filmmaking, then yeah, this is as boring and cut and paste and paint by the numbers as you're going to find. Boo-hoo. <laughs> Bill Gibron of Pop Matters. Star Trek Beyond successfully straddles fine lines between Star Wars high-tech toy merchandising and the serious ideas... <laughs> serious ideas... Hang on, i got to read this again. Star Trek Beyond successfully straddles the fine line between Star Wars high-tech toy merchandising and the serious ideas fostered by concept creator Gene Roddenberry. It's a stone-cold blast. You use way too many words to say, hey, they made a decent Star Trek movie. (laughs) Um, hmm. Uh, The new uh, Craig Matheson of the Sunday Age... The new Star Trek movies are trying to pay homage to a philosophy at odds with Hollywood's current obsessions. Uh, I'm not sure that's accurate. Yeah, I don't really know what the person means by that. I mean, look, Hollywood is as liberal as it gets. Star Trek has always been a hyper-liberal franchise. How is that at odds? How is that at conflict? Unless you mean like, I mean, what exactly are we in conflict with here? Star uh, Hollywood likes blowing stuff up. Well, they blew stuff up. Hollywood likes making money. Well, they're making money. Hollywood likes remakes. Well, here we are. <laughs> Hollywood likes recasting young, attractive people with marginal talent into more serious roles. Well, what? Ex- where is the conflict here, sir? <laughs> I'd like to remind people that this next person got paid to write the following sentence in their review and and is their job to review films. Okay. Just like it might be your job to fix cars. It might be your job to do accounting for a company or to be a lawyer. This person's job is to write a review that tells you whether or not this film is worth seeing. Henry Fitzherbert, Daily Express UK. Time to beam up. Wow. Can you be that bad at any other job and not suffer some kind of repercussion? Oh, president. Okay. Let us exclude elected officials for the moment. Okay. If I were a mechanic and I did the mechanical equivalent that person did as a review, 
I would have returned to you a car minus its battery and probably on a donut tire instead of an actual tire. Damien Straker of Impulse Gamer. Beyond could have been more interesting and memorable if it wasn't weighed down so heavily by its combat moves. Look, there's plenty of like rotten reviews here that I'm not reading a lot of them because I kind of agree with their point of view, similar stuff to what you said. But this was not one of those movies, and believe me, I'm a huge critic of this. This is why I don't want to go see Jason Bourne. I'm not into movies where everyone just punches each other. And that wasn't this movie. Yes, there's an elongated scene at the very end where, you know, you have sort of, you know, stylized hand-to-hand combat between Kirk and Kral, uh, who at this point has shed his alien exterior. Um, and you've just got a very, very old Idris Elba. But still, it, they at least punched it up with them kind of, flow, you know, going through the airlocks and all of that. This was not one of those movies weighed down by combat moves. That's ridiculous. Yeah, the only combat move sequence that drug was random alien chick who's their friend fighting random alien Krull who killed her father. was an utterly pointless subplot to that entire film and should have been excised. That was the only one that just kind of drug everything down. The rest of them fit within the greater scheme of the film. Unless you mean combat moves in the sense that there is conflict physically expressed on screen in some variety, in which case, what in the world did you expect? J. Howard Jones of Chicago Reader, top critic. This third installment in the millennial Star Trek reboot races along without an idea in its head, often recalling the silly monster-driven final season of the 60s TV show. Did you watch the same fucking movie as the rest of us? I understand how this particular individual reached such a massively erroneous conclusion. (laughs) Do you, doctor? Please. Yes. Just a subject. The theoretically weighty ideas and interesting character interactions are sprinkled throughout the film and they enhance it. However, if you're looking for a, an, a more interesting character study, or if you believed that you might get more introspection from Kirk than a scene at the beginning and a cheesy line of dialogue at the end, then sure, you're somewhat disappointed. To anyone with a realistic expectation of these things, we're just grateful we got to see people act at all. So this person works at people. Because otherwise you get Harrison Ford mumbling through a movie and a chick who can randomly do everything. This is from this is this person works at People magazine. This is a uh, traditional uh, magazine, print media. He gets a paycheck for this. And when you hire somebody as a writer, you assume they have a superior grasp of the English language and are professional wordsmiths. They can convey messages to you in a way that the average person can't. This is why they're a professional writer and you are not. And it is with that I I shake my head when I read this. This person writes, uh, Tom Gliotto of People Magazine, when the film is on the move, it really moves. Oh, does it? <laughs> does it, sir? When it's on the move, it moves? 
When still still, when you hot you hot, when you knock you knock, you ass. I I don't know, Mark. I don't know anymore. I just <laughs> I mean, am I being too hard on the beaver here? No. Not so much that sentence in and of itself. It's a somewhat stupid sentence. And that idea, that concept can be conveyed much more eloquently. And without superfluous words, bear in mind, eloquence is not necessarily about the excessive. It, they, there's a fair amount of overlap, but it is far from, it is far from mandatory. The fact that this individual wrote that sentence, whoever his editor is, read that sentence and saw nothing wrong with it. That whoever decided to post this and utilize that sentence as the blurb for their review. This is a systemic failure to communicate. Uh, James Vernier of the Boston Herald channeling you, I think. Generic <laughs> plot. <laughs> Generic plot. Meaningless action. Overdone CGI. Forgettable villain. The camaraderie of the first three in short supply. Only Carl Urban uh, scores. Uh, okay. I agree with elements of that. The CGI, again, there's a few places where it's bad. Like, noticeable. The rest of it's fine. The cast camaraderie, Carl Urban is the best. I, I said that earlier. I will say it again in the future. I agree with you, though. This was the best Spock we've gotten so far. And part of the reason the camaraderie is not necessarily as, as evident in this film is they spend the vast majority of it separated. I mean, do you wish them to share camaraderie across space that they could not reasonably communicate? Have we reached a level where we're back to Too Fast, Too Furious, Paul Walker and Tyrese in different cars, traveling at high speeds, somehow shouting across space to each other and them understanding? Is that what we want here? <laughs> Matthew Monaghan. and forgettable villain, absolutely true. Valid points. Matthew Monaghan of Film School Rejects. All the best parts of a summer movie, all the worst parts of a Star Trek film. Okay, sir. I would have words with you. <laughs> L- lest the references that Mark and I made earlier have gone completely over your head, allow me to explain very briefly. Star Trek Into Darkness is terrible on virtually every level for every reason. The line that Mark and I repeated a few times about what does God need with a starship. Now, I'm going to assume that since you accuse this movie of having the worst parts of a Star Trek movie in it, you have not actually seen Star Trek V. That is the only possibly reasonable explanation for your stance. I'm going to assume you did not see the failed comedy of Star Trek IV. I'm going to assume you did not see the... uh, well, the litany of issues with Star Trek Three. I'm going to go out on a minor limb and say you didn't even see Star Trek 
Nemesis, which was so horribly put together. I mean, that whole crew deserved an infinitely better send-off than that. You skipped all of those. You skipped all of those. Hang on for a second. Pause. For the love of God, control yourself. I just, I needed to, there's, there's so many of these reviews are going, you know, not as good as the one before. And I'm like, well, this can't be right. So Star Trek Beyond currently sits at 84% certified fresh, right? You know what the darkness is at? If you say over 90, I'm going to throw something. 86. That is at least 20 points too high by any reasonable measure. An audience score of 90% liked it. You I people. Ex- I accept that people went, ooh, shiny, things blow up, fun. I accept that that contingent of humanity exists and pays to see movies and then reviews them independently on Rotten Tomatoes. I accept that. Those people are out there. Those people enjoy crap. And you know what? Good for them. You have found something in this world that made you happy. Rock on, man. I'm going, I don't like the movie on, again, virtually every level. However, if you do... I accept that different people can enjoy different things. I'm not going to yell at you for what you like. I'm going to yell at everyone. Every professional movie reviewer who saw that applied the basic principles of film craft necessary to establish an objective parameter for good or bad and said, good. No. Bad reviewers. Jeremy Thomas of 4-1 Mania gave it four and a half stars. Did you not see Star Trek 2? Yikes. Look, it, the, the only possible explanation I can have for people that genuinely enjoy, uh, not genuinely enjoyed, but who defend on a con- film construction level into darkness is they didn't see Wrath of Khan, blinded by Benedict Cumberbatch, which, to be fair, Benedict Cumberbatch is relatively awesome. And, or we're comparing it with another slate of films from that year that were so bad, it looked good by comparison. I mean, because okay. honestly, on a film construction level, that's, I mean, that's pretty much it for me. I, I've seen the movie more than once. They show it when I donate plasma on occasion. I, I, don't, I don't understand that I don't I just don't you say you liked it fine and dandy hey I can get a kick out of watching Armageddon once or twice a year I'm in no position to stand and throw stones at what people like so I think I found your going to give you an aneurysm review of the week oh good gimme Christian Toto of hollywoodintoto.com says stop all the CGI action pieces we just want to watch Spock and Bones bicker. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. <laughs> That's the summation of their review. Yes, sir. Okay. First of all, I agree about we need less CGI crap in the world. I just do. I agree that Bones and Spock were the best part of this movie. I'm not entirely sure how you can find it a defensible position to say we don't want anything else but these two playing the odd couple. If I want that, I can go watch the odd couple. 
no, no. Your argument fails on every conceivable level. <laughs> Bones and Spock bickering works because it is used sporadically and not an entire two-hour character piece of those two throwing insults and amusing dialogue back and forth. I mean, look, if Quentin Tarantino writes and directs the next Star Wars movie, we can revisit that particular philosophy. But for a guy like Justin Lin, no, it's never going to work. All right, this is the last one. And it's getting to a point with this woman where I'm starting to not like her. And I generally like her when she's on movie fights. Um, she did the, the last one where they, did, uh, they had uh, hosted by Alicia Malone, uh, who's, you know, hotsy totsy. You might even like her. Uh, I do did not the, know who she is. Consequently, I have no frame of reference. Uh, you should look her up. Um, but Alicia Malone, yeah, hot totsy. She subbed in, she, while the guys were over at the uh, San Diego Comic-Con, she subbed in and did a classic movie fight, you know, nothing before 19 something or other. Um, and Abel Nicholson of MTV was a part of it. And I like her when she's on the show. She doesn't necessarily, she doesn't come across on the show as hoity-toity as she does in her reviews. For example, Amy Nicholson of MTV, who is a top critic, says, Beyond doesn't have the tactile crash smash thrill of Vin Diesel gunning a charger. It's more like that dumb gag in Furious 7 when cars skydive from a plane. Um, I understand that you might not like the work of Justin Lin. <laughs> Such is fine. I, I, again, I accept reasonable people disagreeing and whatnot. Wait a minute. Hold on. I must double check this. Hang on. Because I, I might have to like, yes. Uh, I understand you might not like the work of Justin Lin. And he did the better entries into the Fast and Furious franchise. The fact that you reached to make your point and your subsequent backhanded, your, your, your verbal backhand, as it were, to a movie Justin Lin did not direct. <laughs> Justin uh-huh. Lin did not direct Furious 7. James Wan did. Take that. I, I'm not even going to touch the content of your argument because you failed so miserably in execution. No. <laughs> Just no. Bad reviewer. No cookie. What the fuck? <laughs> you should send her a tweet. Hey, whore. Get your directors right in your movies. It's not like there aren't visual gags from the movies he did direct in that franchise that could have made the point just as well. You just failed to adequately do anything approaching research and just went off the top of your head. And then put this out there into the world with your byline next to it. (laughs) Speaking of Vin Diesel, I bet you can't wait for Triple X The Return of Xander Cage when we review that on January 20th, right? Shut up. (laughs) I hated the first Triple X. Hated. I haven't seen it. But I'm sorry. Any movie that has Samuel Jackson doing, who wants you to do wild and crazy stunts and look dope doing it? That's got my vote. I know, but as we've also frequently said, your perspective on movies and what amuses you is so very different from mine. If you want to feel bad for this franchise, look up the sequel, which is not actually... 
which is not actually the return of Xander Cage. It is Triple X2, State of the Union, starring Ice Cube. Yeah, it got terrible reviews. It's because it's terrible. The first was terrible. Why are we revisiting this property? It died. Let it die. Do not inflict upon us the potential for the zombie apocalypse done in cinematic form. No. And you can check out our review of Triple X, the Return of Xander Cage, when it comes out January 20th of 2017, right smack in the middle of Underworld, Blood Wars, and Resident Evil, the Evil Chapter. The Mark. final chapter. Mark. Sir? What am I I might not be alive come January at this rate. <laughs> you're just, just going to throw yourself off a roof after Assassin's Creed. It might be less painful. I'm just going to say that. Goodbye, Cruel World. I can't. The movie he's making me review, I can't take it anymore. At a minimum, you might hear repeated slamming on this podcast as I pound something into my hand because the brain will only recognize the most immediate form of pain. Pain gating is a thing. In order to talk about those movies, I might have to inflict some form of physical harm on myself. Well, February gets better. I promise you that. Then you only have to deal with the Lego Batman movie, which looks hysterical. Oh, God. Why? 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 <laughs> and then, by your request, sir, by Robert Winfrey's request, The Dark Tower. Yes, I... I I know that's because you don't read. It's okay. <laughs> Screw you, Winfrey. Uh, yeah, I do want. I do want to review that movie. I love this. I love that series of books deeply and profoundly. Uh, th- that might be. There's a real possibility that's going to be my Where's Tom Bombadil series. <laughs> Well, I'm warning fun. you all right now. The way Mark is about Star Wars or uh, Star Trek to varying degrees, the people out there that are huge fans of Lord of the Rings, whatever your beloved you know, epic series of books or you know, your epic sagas that imprinted on you at an important period in your life, and we all have multiples, I have... Oh, two. And one of them is Roland Deschain's quest for the tower. So I'm going to do my best not to just go, where's Tom Bombadil? But my, that is my attachment to that property such that I'm going to, that I insist on reviewing it. Can you look at the March schedule again, since I, since I sent you that list? Wolverine uh, 3. Long Skull Island, Beauty and the Beast, Power Rangers, and Ghost in the Shell. What a loaded month. That is a loaded month. I'm not as familiar with the Ghost in the Shell uh, source material, but I, I am aware of it. The rest of that is, yeah, that, that is a big month. That's a big month. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a, lot, a lot going on there. I mean, you know, it's not as big as Underworld, Blood Wars, Triple X, and Return of the Age, and Resident Evil, the final chapter. Just stop. <laughs> Great. I can't wait. Ghost in the Shell 2017. Uh, 
Scarlett Johansson, Kalu Ashback, Michael Pitt, Takeshi Kitano, and Juliette Binoche. Look, Ghost in the Shell is a very influential and well-respected both manga and anime series. So there's a lot of good material to draw from there. It's, it deals a lot with some of the nature of existence, kind of uh, uh, you know, synthetic life versus organic life. Uh, think of it as a slightly more action-oriented, longer-running, and in some ways slightly more cohesively constructed Blade Runner. I'm just wondering why they decided to remake it after uh, you know the first Ghost in the Shell movie. Uh, it's been going since then. It's an ongoing property, I believe. I don't hold me to that, but and it's popular enough to just have been around. You know, I mean, and given the desire to cash in on things that already exist rather than apply creativity in Hollywood, you lazy hacks. <laughs> Who was in the Ghost in the Shell 1995 film? Oh, wait, that's, that's animated. Yeah. I thought there was a live action Ghost in the Shell. I'm not making that up. If you say so, I don't recall it. I could have sworn there was one with... Um, I swear to God, I thought there was one, and I thought, and I thought it had... Maybe I'm thinking of Tomb Raider. But I thought it had... Of which there's going to be a third one, by the way. Um, I, I thought there was a live action Ghost in the Shell... With the chick from Tomb Raider. You mean Angelina Jolie? That's the one. Maybe I'm making that up. I have no memory of that, and I think you are, but you're older now. It's okay. The memory goes. Ghost in the show. All right. I'm, I'm going to look this up. <laughs> you, you, uh, you, you get us into plugs. I think we're done here. Yeah, we're done. This Saturday, I have live coverage of UFC 201 in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com, so stop by and say hello. I do appreciate that. Time. Robbie Lawler is going to separate Tyron Woodley from his consciousness. Apparently, I'm wrong. There was never a live-action version of Ghost in the Shell. There is, as I thought, the 1995 animated film. Okay. That would explain why why there's a live-action film coming, because they haven't done one yet. And I imagine there will be an Americanization of Attack on Titan in the near future. Probably. Um, allegedly, we are doing Metal Hammer of Doom tomorrow. Uh, if we can ever find the music for uh, Witherscape, the Northern Sanctuary. Um, if not, then not. I'm probably not going to do the show. But um, the following week, we also have the new Neil Fallon side project, Dunsmuir. Uh, as we said multiple times on this show, next week is Born Week. We'll be reviewing Jason Bourne here on this show, and then the next day, Long Road to Ruin, the Bourne Conundrum. Uh, I, w- I felt so ripped off by the first Bourne movie. Oh, uh, yeah? Hey, you know what? You know, well, for all this I'm shit- one of the f- I actually oh, read <laughs> the Bourne Identity, okay. and when they ended the movie, I went, where's the other half of the book? What I, what I was going to say to you was you should, you know, thank my friends uh, over in New York for deciding that we're going to go on a Disney cruise in the month of April. That got you out of seeing Smurfs. Oh, Smurfs. Oh, quick thing about that. So my parents are uh, paying for us to go on a cruise with them 
next year. We're going on a big family cruise. My mom's 70th birthday, and she wants to go on a big family cruise. So um, my my father rented a suite, uh, three bedrooms for all six of us, you know, myself, my wife, my two kids, and them, uh, my parents. And my father said, when do you want to go? And he gave me two dates. Now, the first two dates he gave me, this is all very interesting. Stay with me. The first two dates he gave me were July 7th through the 14th. And I said, we can't do that. July 7th is Spider-Man Homecoming, and July 14th is War for the Planet of the Apes. Now, I might have still been able to see War for the Planet of the Apes, but that fucks up my whole Spider-Man thing I'm doing that week. Um, because I, I'm, we're obviously going to review Spider-Man Homecoming on July 12th. Um, hey, Mark, which would be it's going to be another early. Spider-Man origin story. I'm going to smack you. And then Long Road to Ruin the Amazing Spider-Man. I'm just going to be showing a grease um, well, yeah, we'll I hope he doesn't, because those two movies suck. And we'll talk about it. And then the following week, you know, we I mean, we'd be home, and t- we'd be home from the cruise by this point, but it'd be a bit of a rush here. Uh, to do War for the Planet of the Apes. And I said, no, 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 no. My podcasts are important. We need to do things when there's a space, a space open. I'm a, literally, I paid for a cruise, and I'm telling them that we have to do this around my podcast schedule. And my wife says, she's like, she goes, Why? the other date is the 21st to the 28th, um, which right now there's nothing on the calendar for the 21st. Uh, the 28th, there's an untitled Disney fairy tale remake, which... I'll just see it after the cruise at some point, and we'll try to get it. We'll we'll try to shove it in there for uh, August second, and if not, then we'll fucking skip it. You know, I'm, I'm not gonna beat myself up over this. The following week is Alien Covenant. I'll, we'll we'll live. Um, and if, if Robert Winfrey doesn't have to go see an, a a uh, Disney fairy tale live action remake, he'll live too. So that being said, that's assuming uh, I'm still alive at that particular point, and. Uh... The return of Xander Cage hasn't driven me to self-mutilation. Well, try to try, try, listen. We've we've got Transformers: The Last Night to get through. You have to oh, stay alive. God, no, get, why? Why? <laughs> well, uh, look at, look at the price It's it's going to be followed by Despicable Me Three. Anyway, to get to the end of the story before Blog Talk cuts me off. Um, so my wife says. The 21st through the 28th doesn't really work for me, though, because it's too close to when I have to go back to school. I might have to go to training. And I said, Melissa, it's more important that we don't disrupt my podcast schedule. Spider-Man Homecoming is one of the big event tentpole movies of the year. I don't care. It's going to be another origin story. It's not the point. It's a big deal. <laughs> I, I really hope it isn't, is, my, is the joke there. We all know how he becomes Spider-Man. So I'm going through this whole – now, I'm a 40-year-old man pitching a fit about not being able to see Spider-Man and do a podcast on it in a timely fashion. And your counter-argument is this will affect my job. And guess who won? Guess who – guess what date got picked? I'm going to go ahead and guess you and I will be reviewing Spider-Man Homecoming. You bet your sweet bippy we will. <laughs> I'm such a spoiled brat. I really am. I'm not going to refute that in in any way, shape, form, or fashion. <laughs> All right. Take us home. All right. On that note, next week we will be talking about Matt Damon. He's on the movie. <laughs> Which it, one are we talking it about? started as a joke around my house, and now I can't stop doing it. Which movie? 
no, uh, no, anything with Matt Damon, just anything at all. Uh, I, it just started was, around. I, I don't remember what movie started it, but one of us joked that uh, Matt Damon was just not a good, you know, he's not a good actor. He's on screen. He's Matt Damon. He's on this movie making the TV. He's Matt Damon. Which actor? Matt Damon. He does what now? He's Jason Bourne. Do the impression again. Hey, Matt Damon. He's on the movie screen. He's in the film. Oh, Matt Damon. <laughs> Matt Damon. They it do, I know started. Seen... I don't know where it started around here, but it took on a life of its own, and now it's just the perpetual joke. I would tell you one of your brothers, not you, but one of your brothers saw World Police, because that's a very similar thing that they do with Matt Damon in the movie. None of my family has seen World Police. Every one of your family members has seen not, World None of them. I guarantee it. None of them. I tell you, so they got it from. None of us have that seen it... that movie. None of us. You know we're reviewing Barbie next year, right? Oh, I might have to tap out of that one. That's going to be the one. Why? It's being followed by A Long Road to Ruin. Legally Blonde. Sean might have to tap out of that one. <laughs> yeah, I told Sean about that, and I, and I could hear him blinking. Yeah, May is, May is Guardians of the Galaxy, Barbie, Baywatch, Pirates of the Caribbean, and one and um, well, then Wonder Woman's in June. But uh, I'm looking May, forward to precisely one of those. <laughs> May is Guardians of the Galaxy. May 12th is Barbie. May 19th is Baywatch, and May 26th is Pirates of the Caribbean. Yep, one, precisely <laughs> one. Can't wait till next year. I will suffer through several of those. I don't know what I don't know if I can do a Barbie movie. I just I don't know. Oh, I wonder who that stars. I am Debray. Oh, please tell me it's all CGI'd. Nope, live action. You can't make a live action Barbie. <laughs> but they are, baby. They are. I didn't. I just mean physically. Like you can't actually find a person with Barbie's proportions. <laughs> uh, okay. So plot unknown. <laughs> Live action feature based on... The fact on, that I'm, they I'm, even pretend there's going to be a plot sickens me. Um, oh, now it's been... Now they're moving into July? God damn it. The, the, screwing up my schedule here. Um, writers, Lindsay Beer, Jenny Bix. Uh, I, don't, I don't care who wrote it. Uh, I don't believe it's been casted. <laughs> Well, then I still have hope that this thing will not actually get made. Yeah, I'm not seeing a whole lot else here. Uh, I can I can hope and pray then. It's being produced by Evan Hayes, Laurie McDonald, Walter Parks, Amy Pascal, Amy Pascal of Sony fame and Ghostbusters, by the way, oh. and Julia. I can't wait. Please make this movie. Please Get don't make this movie. movie. Get on the stick. We need please, Barbie. Please do not do this. 
to society. Society is full of terrible people, and we deserve, by and large, terrible things. Now, when I say terrible things, I don't mean death, decay, famine, pestilence, uh, things. I don't mean that. I mean, as a society, you go pay to see star, to see star, star, to see Transformers movies when they're crap. You deserve more crap. That's how that works. We've done a lot of terrible things. We don't deserve this. Uh, this is I, I want to say Diablo Cody is involved with this. No one deserves this. Unless this is some <laughs> government-funded project that will soon be declared inhuman as some form of torture that will no longer be legal. But for a few months, we're going to go ahead and make use this as a legal form of interrogation. This should not exist. Please, okay. please do not do this to us. According to SlashFilm.com, as of August 5th, 2015, Barbie movie written by Diablo Cody headed to theaters in 2017. Um, Sony has just announced they will be releasing a live-action movie based on the Barbie toy line for June 2nd, 2017, which has now been moved up to May 12th. Um, the film was written by Jenny Bix, What a Girl Wants, in Rio 2, and Oscar-winning screenwriter Diablo Cody of Juno, Jennifer's Body, and Young Adult fame. Um, reason people only remember one of those. Angie Han's original story from March 5th, 2015 follows. The world's most famous doll is hooking up with one of Hollywood's most famous female screenwriters. Diablo Cody is set to rewrite Barbie, the upcoming live-action film from Sony Pictures. Just, just stop. People, why? Why? Again, certain amounts of crap I understand. I don't like it. I yell at you about it. But I understand. I understand that you get what you deserve as far as that goes. But what? What? What exactly has inspired this insanity? As reported last year, the film cast Barbie as a sort of modern-day Mary Poppins, who flits around the world doing different jobs to help different people. It's a cute nod to the many careers the doll has had and an easy setup for a long-term franchise. <laughs> Not to mention a brilliant excuse to sell tons of different Barbie models, accessories, and outfits. Guess that's been a problem recently. That's sarcasm. Why? Why? Just, Mark, I don't want to live on this planet anymore. <laughs> what are no we doing, is... people? <laughs> no cast is attached to them yet. But the general plan is to put three young newcomers in lead roles of Barbie, Ken, and their best friend. The supporting roles will be filled by bigger names who could be swapped in or out with each installment. What are we doing? Who thought this was a worthwhile endeavor? You're going to spend millions of dollars on this. Millions of dollars. That could go to anything else. Almost anything. Anything else is of more value to the human race in every conceivable sense of that word than this will be. Here's my concern. They haven't started shooting it yet. Yeah, they haven't started shooting the Gambit movie either, yet you remain stubbornly optimistic while I just pray for more disaster. (laughs) 
All right. I have uh, I've tortured you long enough. So is that going to be your Ninja Turtles of the year? Is that I the don't one where you're going to I look. Given that they're still shuffling things around, I might. I'm going to still reserve my right to say no. <laughs> okay, now I'm curious. What else comes out that week? Murder. Box office murder. Let's see. What comes out? Uh, what comes out? So let's jump to where are we? Jump to 2017. Uh, what did I say that was May? Sure. <laughs> you relax, Jesus. Um, that's all that's listed for that week. No, oh, no, let, I, me, let me see what I, I can find. I take that back. Okay, so here's what's listed for the week of May 12th. Barbie, Mother Daughter, it's put out by Fox. Untitled BH Tilt 2017, put out by HDR, and that's it. We're looking at what, May? Yep, May 12th, that week of May 12th. Yeah, I got nothing. Uh, <laughs> you have to do it. I do not have to do it. Yes, you do. What else are you going to do? Kayaking? Uh, first of all, it would be rafting, theoretically. And no, not I, I don't care. I will find something better to do with my life that could include anything from finishing a novel that will go unpublished to slamming my face repeatedly into a car window and have it be a better use of my time. Okay, you, ha- you can only pick one movie to bail out on. And your other option is this. June 16th, Cars 3. You know you want to call me a motherfucker right now. You know you're now fighting back here to go, you motherfucker. Yeah, I'm working really hard on not swearing as much anymore. It occurs to me that... Well, it, partially because it does occur to me that of all the people who listen to this, all however many of you there are, there's a relatively good chance I represent one of the first only contacts you ever have with someone of my religious persuasion. And calling down regularly death and famine upon certain individuals pertaining to the movies we see, while not necessarily the best, the most ringing endorsement for the average member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, is miles better it is not helped by my swearing at you profusely. So I'm working very hard on remembering that I might be it for some of you, that I'm the only contact you have with my religion. And I really don't want to be thought of as a negative experience. So yeah, I am really resisting the urge to hurl insults or book a flight. (laughs) Cars three or Barbie. Choose, but choose wisely. There is no wise choice here. <laughs> Come on, you gotta pick something. I don't have to pick something I right pick now. Something. I can I wait. Get... Spend the, spend the next year just mulling it over in your mind. Look, to be perfectly honest, I would rather yell about Cars Three being crap than have to sit through a Barbie movie. There's there's that part of me that goes. Yeah, this is a sequel to the only bad movie Pixar made. 
Nope, that was The Good Dinosaur. The Good Dinosaur is a better movie than Cars 2, and I will. Uh, you and I have had that debate. You know I'm right. You know they're, they're making a live-action remake. They're, they're remaking Chips, right? That's also on the list. That's actually our summer finale, Chips. <sighs> Man, I'm going to have to go with my mom to see that one. <laughs> no, my mom... Well, first of all, my grandfather, my mom's father, was a member of the California Highway Patrol for 30, 35 years. So my mom, growing up, watched Chips, and as every... I imagine most women of her age at that particular point in time was moderately infatuated with Eric Estrada. So it will be somewhat interesting if I wind up... if I can get her to go see that with me to get a fan of the original series perspective on yet another crappy adaptation of something that was beloved at its at the time even if it wasn't my poor mother her childhood consisted of uh, specifically two franchises that were television shows that she she genuinely loved one of them was starsky and hut tell you about that cinematic adaptation i really shouldn't those of you who don't know, if you've ever heard me complain about a certain actor who is the bane of my movie-going experience in all ways, Ben Stiller is the avatar of my agony. And he and Owen Wilson are Starsky and Hutch. It's terrible. So my poor I... mother had to, saw that. Now there's going to be a Chips movie. I feel so badly for her about this. <laughs> so I thought they were remaking Blade Runner. Apparently, this is uh, actually a sequel. Okay. That'll be an interesting discussion if we get around to it. So Blade Runner uh, comes out in October, uh, October 6th of 2017. Uh, I haven't already have it on the list to review. Um, yep. Blade Runner comes out on uh, on on October sixth, as does My Little Pony, and an untitled yeah, no. Fox, and an untitled Fox Marvel film. So we'll be reviewing. Um, we're going to skip to My Little Pony. Thank you. I am not part of the Brony subculture, nor will I ever be. So we're skipping My Little Pony, but we will be doing the untitled Fox Marvel film, which probably end up being Deadpool or something, or uh, the. Um, X-Force. Um, yeah, that, if it's Fox and Marvel, it's mutant-related. And then this, uh, I'm going to change this to Blade Runner 2. Uh, we'll do Blade Runner 2 the following week. And then uh, Geostorm is coming out. They moved Geostorm to October, so we'll review that. So no, no My Little Pony for My Little Robert Winfrey. However, the long road to ruin for that October, uh, I've already penciled in, is From Dusk Till Dawn. It's an interesting series. <laughs> Oh, that would be a good one for Halloween. I mean, that that podcast is never moving beyond Selma Hayek dancing with a snake, but that's okay. Nope. <laughs> All right. I'm done torturing you for the night. All right. On that note, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for choosing us for your movie reviews. Uh, we know you have choices. We At this point, Mark and I can consider ourselves relatively superior to a large portion of the professional community. So please, somebody out there, pay us for this. 
Mark and I will read. If you would like to sponsor the, the movie reviews here, Mark has the numbers for what we do. Get in touch with him. We are happy to read copy. If that's and we have fa- we do have a listenership that's not huge, but if you just want to, if you want to be supplemented, uh, Mark and I are happy to read, and we'll do it live too, so you don't have to worry about a uh, ad block. We're, we're, hey, we're not at all. <laughs> I'll shamelessly do anything. Yes, Mark will. I am slightly more discerning, but really, just the first time I actually get paid for speaking into this microphone, I'm just gonna. I won't be wearing pants anyway, but theoretically, I would throw them at the wall and just run around the block. <laughs> pants are evil. Yes, they are. Don't you hate pants? Everybody hates pants, Mark. God. All right. With that bit already, of wisdom. I have already finished listing all the movies we're going to do for 2017, and, now, and, and, and 2016 isn't even over yet. I'm nuts. Yes, but it's okay. A little organization doesn't hurt us at all. I am a order. I am an order muppet. Yep, which is okay because I'm Sam the Eagle, and I have no time for your nonsense. <laughs> all right, hit the buttons. I, I need a back. new. I need something new though, because Brian Stan is actually Sam the Eagle. <laughs> I need um, something else. Johnny Five. I don't know. A living robot. You're making references I don't understand. Short Circuit. I've never seen Short Circuit, actually. Oh, God. Just hit the music. (laughs) See you next week, folks. We will talk about Matt Damon and uh, Paul Greengrass's ability to make exactly one movie. And now we're adding bad CGI car wrecks to it. See you then. Should be fun. Amen. Until then, continue to well, be yeah, Matt Damon on the movie. <laughs> uh, until then, please continue to be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>